two weeks. Hey, welcome everybody to all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you made it to church. Way to go. I also want to welcome those of you watching online. Uh, we know this is our connection to you and you to us, so always welcome to you. And it's hard to believe, but in two weeks, as you saw in that video, we're going to open our new campus in Anoka. And I'm so excited. I'm so proud of this church. If you would have told me three years ago that we would buy an old Kmart and transform it into a state-of-the-art church building, worship place, uh, where thousands of people will come and get a chance to be introduced to who Jesus is, I'd have told you you were crazy. Not in a million years. Had to be of God, because I'd have never bought a Kmart. I mean, good, or us, you know. But here we are, and that team is ready. In two weeks, we open up. And Aaron Damjanovich, the campus pastor out there, is just a fantastic leader. That campus is ready to go. Saw it this week, took a walk through, prayed over every room, every seat, and we're ready to go. If you're, if you're a person who lives out in that area and over in Oka, and you've got a friend or neighbor or colleague or coworker, man, what a great weekend. Two weeks from now to invite them into this new building, this new church. They're going to experience worship they've never seen before and a message, I hope, that'll be outstanding as well. It was an $18 million project. Get this, $18 million project. We are completely debt-free. We paid for it just by your giving. Just by your giving. It was unbelievable. Three years, 18 million, we're done. Unbelievable. So way to go, church. Love this church. So that's the good news. Uh, bad news is 11 days ago, I turned 60, <laughs> which is shocking to me. I shouldn't be 60. My mom is 60. Yeah, you know, old people are 60. I should not be 60. I remember when I turned 40, very vividly. I remember when I turned 40. It was the halfway point in life, really, 40 is, and then you maybe have 40 years left. And I read a book by, by Bob Buford called Halftime. Great book. Halftime of your life. He said the first 40 years of life is spent learning, growing, maybe getting married, whatever, trying to figure life out. At halftime, at 40, you evaluate, you adjust, and then he said this, the game is won or lost in the second half. Football games, basketball games, game of life, and it's so true. Second 40 is so good. When I turned 40, I prayed, I, God, I said, I said, may my second 40 years be better than my first. Made a commitment that I would teach better, lead better, and love people better, that I'd have a bigger impact in the next 40 years. Now I'm 20 years into that 40 years, and so 11 days ago on my birthday, I bowed my head and prayed at my desk like I do every morning when I come to work, and I prayed to God that my final 20 years would be better than all, that I would lead better, love better, that God would keep me passionate and strong and use me like never before. See, one thing I've learned and discovered after 60 years of life is you never stop learning or growing, or at least you shouldn't. You never stop reading or working or growing, and the minute you do, you're done. And I'm so grateful. I, I look at my family, and I look at what God's done in this church, and I feel so incredibly blessed. 60 years of life, I can't believe it. And so on my birthday, my two-year-old granddaughter, Ibby, sent it's me a birthday, birthday song. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. Dear Baba. 
I didn't even know she could sing. She really can't, really. But, and then, and then, and then her, her sister, Maisie Merritt Nelson, was born three days before my birthday. And all the women are, oh, and all the guys are like, yeah. So. But I can tell you after 60 years of life, the main reason I feel so incredibly honored and blessed by God, the reason I believe we have the family we have and the life we have is because at an early age, I put my full trust in Jesus Christ to save me and to lead me. And he's been so faithful. He's had me on this path of new life ever since that day when I was five years old in childlike faith. I responded to him as my Savior. We're in a series called The New You because Romans 6 through 8, I think, is what the Christian life is all about. It's about leaving this old life of sin and starting this new life in obedience to Christ. I'm so glad all of you are here today because the difference, I think, between those who fail in life and those who thrive in life are contained in Paul's words here in Romans chapter 8. Look what he says. He says, look, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Then he says, the mind of sinful people leads to a death-like experience. But the mind controlled by the Spirit leads to life and peace. Paul says the difference between people who thrive and those who fail is a mindset. Those who thrive have their minds set on the Spirit, the things of God, Those who fail have their minds set on what the sinful nature desires. So I want to ask you, what is your mind set on these days? What dominates your thoughts? Because I believe this, whatever dominates your thoughts will determine your life. Whatever's dominating your thought life, whatever you think about all day long, will absolutely determine and drive your life. Last week, my wife and I took our dog, Blue, for a walk on a nearby, nearby golf course because he can run free and it kind of takes the edge off. But the course is filled with water hazards that have you know, thin ice where he could break through, or they're so mucky that whenever he gets near the water, we have to yell at him to stay out of it. But Blue has got a mindset that's controlled by his sinful nature. And it's so strong in him that sometimes I'll put a shock collar on him to keep him out of the water, give him a little jolt to counter his sinful nature. So we were coming to the end of our walk. And he knows that it's toward the end. He just has this sense. We keep him out. We kept him out of the water. 12 different ponds. Came to the final pond where our truck was parked. And it is the muckiest, smelliest cesspool on the entire course. Came to this final pond. He ran up to it. I said, blue, no. He stopped. He looked at me. I said, don't even think about it. He knew exactly what I meant. Didn't care. In he went. Couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I was so mad. I was insane. I could have killed this dog. I said, get out of there, you idiot dog. I was insanely mad. Jumps out, covered in the blackest, smelliest sewage you can possibly imagine. And I try to grab him, but now it's a game. And he goes like this. 
You know, you, you, you try to charge him and grab his collar, goes like this, and then he'll dodge, and, he'll, and then he does this. We call it the circle. He takes off as fast as he can, and he circles us, just messing with us. Can't catch him, can't stop him. He will not stop until he's dead tired circling us. It's just kind of an intimidating thing for him to do to us, I think. He just wants to mess with us. Finally, I got him by the collar. I didn't have the shock collar on him, or I'd, he'd have been zapped. I mean, I just would have pfft, laid him out. Finally, grabbed him by the collar, gave him a swift swat, dragged him over to the maintenance shed to hose him off, but he still stunk terribly, all wet, messed up my truck, stunk up our house because his sin now affects us. That's what sin does, by the way. You know, it messes everybody else's life up. By the way, anybody here, don't raise any hands or poke anybody in the ribs, but anybody here have a son or daughter whose sin is just messing up your life? <laughs> or a parent? Or a relative or coworker whose sin affects everybody? We all know someone like that. Maybe you're that person. I don't know. But it all goes back, I think, to what dominates our thoughts because I, I believe whatever dominates our thinking, our thoughts, will absolutely drive our life. Once again, those controlled by the sinful nature, the Bible says, have a certain mindset on what that nature desires. But those controlled by the Spirit have their mindset on what God's spirit desires. He's saying our mind is either controlled by sin or controlled by the spirit. And by the way, it's a battle for control. If you're a Christian here, if you're a believer, there's a spiritual battle going on inside you at all times between the sinful nature and God's spirit. If you're not a Christian, so glad you're here. If you're not a believer, you're probably not experiencing much inner battle because God's spirit isn't there yet. We hope it will be one day if you choose to follow him. But if you're a believer, there's this battle going on, and it's a battle for control. And so the question is, what has control? And by the way, our mindset just isn't our IQ or our intellect. It's our whole inner world that includes our thoughts, desires, emotions. And this inner world, this inner stream of thoughts and desires and emotions is driving our life. It's driving our decisions. Whatever is going on. And a lot of times we're not even aware of it. For example, when I got mad at my dog, my anger went from zero to 100 immediately. I wasn't even aware of how intense my anger and emotion was. But that flash of anger came from somewhere inside me. And for about five minutes, I was under the control of my own sin. I didn't swear. I don't swear. And I didn't, which is an amazing thing. I was so mad. You know, I say darn it, I don't, you know, whatever. But for about five minutes, I was under the control of my own sinful nature, but then God's spirit, I could just almost sense it, took over and I calmed down and we were able to kind of laugh at the stupid dog and we enjoyed the rest of the day. But at any given time, my mind is either controlled by my sinful nature or by the spirit of God and it can vacillate back and forth. And whatever has control in that moment will absolutely determine what I say, do, where I go. And just to illustrate, by the way, how quickly this inner life can rise up inside us, did you ever notice that when someone's driving faster than you, you immediately think they're an idiot? But whenever someone's driving slower than you, you immediately think they're a moron. I mean, it just rises up. Is that just me? It just rises up. 
I don't know why. Well, maybe you don't even know who that person is. Maybe that person is a pastor who just turned 60, and it's a really nice guy, but he's an idiot, you know? But that immediate reaction comes from this inner world of thoughts and emotions and desires that at any given moment can be controlled by our sin, our sinful nature, or by the Spirit. But then Paul says there's an outcome. There's always an outcome. He says, but the mind controlled by sin leads to a death-like existence. But the mind controlled by the Spirit leads to life and peace. You know, I don't know anybody who wants death. I don't know anybody who wants a dead marriage, a dead career, a dead soul, dead family or future. You know, generally people really want life and peace. Wouldn't it be amazing if we all could have life and peace inside, no matter what's happening on the outside. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could have life and peace in your relationships and in your family and in your inner soul so that no matter what's happening at work or school or in the economy, you would have life and peace and you see the chaos and it's like, yeah, it's out there, but I'm good with God and, and there's peace in my life. The Bible says you can have that that the mind controlled by the spirit brings life and peace. So the question is, how do we get this control? How can we make sure that our mind is controlled by the spirit and not controlled by sin? There's two thoughts I have for you today. One is, you gotta purify this stream of information that's constantly flowing into your mind. Here's what I know about every person here, including me. There is a constant stream of information flowing into our minds on a daily basis from things like Facebook, internet, TV, music, books, billboards, church even, school, friends, a constant stream of information, and every piece of information has a value attached to it. It is not value neutral. Every piece of information is trying to influence your thinking and therefore drive your life in one direction or another. It's trying to get us to buy something, follow, believe, consume, or feel something. And this constant stream of information affects our thinking and then pushes us one way or another. I woke up thinking about this 2 a.m. Uh, Tuesday, Tuesday morning. I don't know what you think about it, night. That's what I think about. My little stick guy here, my little guy, and this is his mind or his head. Two ways we receive information are our ears, ears and eyes, Okay? And so, back in Galatians chapter 5, the life that's driven by sin, sinful nature, produces these things. Sexual immorality, biblical definition of sexual immorality is sex before marriage or outside of marriage. That's the very least, and there are other uh, entities with that as well. But impure thoughts, hostility, these are the things that the sinful nature produces, quarreling among you, jealousy, lying, Outbursts of anger, drunkenness, wild parties. Sounds like American culture. And then there's this word strife. I don't even know what it means. It's just like, oof. I got all this going on and my life just kind of sucks. It's just strife. Okay. That's what the sinful 
nature produces. But then over in Great Galatians, a couple verses later, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, though. If you're driven by the Spirit, you have life and peace and you have love and joy. How's the joy factor in your life? Peace. Is there peace or is there this constant turmoil? Kindness. It produces kindness, happiness, self-control, and then a few other uh, New Testament words and Old Testament words. Generosity, relational wholeness, the Bible says, this produces financial wellness, contented living. And so we have this life, but you have this flow of information coming at you from the moment you wake up. Today's show, iPhone, you name it. The moment you wake up, this flow of information comes flooding into your thinking through relationships, movies, podcasts, billboards, books, websites, even the Bible, if you read that, music, prayer, you name it, Facebook. All this information is flowing into your mind. This river, and then there's the Kardashians, of course, <laughs> you know, whose lives are a wreck, but, you know, you got to watch Kardashians. So they're just flowing in there. And depending on this flow... If it's just all from secular culture and all this stuff that we watch and read and whatever, it pushes our life this way. If we offset it with Bible reading and worship that you're here today and podcasts that are great teaching and great worship music, your life can be pushed that way. It starts right away in the morning. My mechanic, Vince Lutz listens to KTIS all day long in his shop, just listening to God's worship coming at him. And his life, I can tell you, his life flows this way. All day long. When our kids were five and three, we lived in Pennsylvania, and every night after the six o'clock news, the television sitcom Cheers would come on. Remember Cheers? And every night, uh, we watched Sam Malone, Rebecca Howe, and Norm Peterson gather at the bar in, in Boston. But one night, the kids were sitting in front uh, of the TV coloring, and the theme song to Cheers came on. And we all know it, right? Great tune. My kids were sitting there on the floor. When, when this song came on, they both stopped, looked up at the TV, and Megan, age five, began singing the theme song, had it memorized to Cheers. Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. A little off. Getting away from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away somewhere you want to go? Wherever? And, you know, and so and on it goes. Here's my two kids, barely out of diapers, and they've memorized the cheer song. And the main message is that the place to go to solve your problems is at a bar. <laughs> Five and three years old. You know, not at home. You don't solve your problems at home or work or church. At a bar. That's where you got to go. So we took them to church once a week. But five times a week, they're being educated by Sam Malone and Cliff Clavin. I mean, good luck. I'll bet I've seen every Cheers episode at least three times. Every Seinfeld show at least twice. Modern Family at least twice. And every Big Bang Theory at least twice. I used to hate the Big Bang Theory. I thought it was so stupid. Until a colleague said, Bob, you got to give it a chance. you got to watch it. No, it's... But here's the question. Here's the question. How much of our adolescent and adult minds are affected by a steady stream of Seinfeld friends, which I can't stand, Modern Family and Big Bang Theory? Or a steady stream of Game of Thrones or House of Cards every night? I mean, it's not even, it's not even fair. You know, we teachers get up here and say, man, you ought to read your Bible. 
You got to join a small group, and you're like, yeah, but the bachelorette is on. I mean, I can't miss that. I mean, what, what effect do you think that has, the bachelorette has and others, on how men think about women? How women think about men? How people view sex and marriage and Christianity? Here's what I think. I think television has basically erased the line between right and wrong. Anything goes. There's no right and wrong. Marriage is a joke. Going to bed with anybody is the norm. But, you know, add a little humor to it, and they're, they're so good with humor, and you know, we kind of laugh at that. Well, they shouldn't be doing that, but it's so funny. But it's gone. Kids are left to figure life out on their own. Going to church, I mean, going to church isn't even a thought. And you know it and I know it. Our families are in trouble. And our culture is in trouble. It's just been in my lifetime. Those of us who are my age saw it happen. We're not what we used to be. There is this stream of pollution coming at us every single day. It's driving our thinking in this culture. And therefore driving our life. There's a little saying, what goes in must come out. What flows into our minds inevitably pushes us towards sin and death or life and peace. Which is why, gang, you have, you have to purify the stream. If you want a mind that's controlled by the spirit that leads to life and peace, then you have to make sure there's a steady stream of goodness and truth flowing into your life. I love this verse. Set your mind on things that are above. Above what? Just above the normal drift of society. You know, above the profane values that television and our universities are espousing today. And so here's what I do. To make sure that my mind is controlled by the Spirit, I balance my love for Eric Church and Coldplay, which I love, with a steady stream of Hillsong Passion and Eagle Brook Worship. I have to. I balance my love for Vince Flynn and John Grisham novels with a steady stream of books by, written by people like John Ortberg, Andy Stanley, Henry Cloud, Mark Batterson, and Kyle Eidelman that teach me about marriage and raising kids and handling stress, finding my purpose, and growing up spiritually. But people will say, but Bob, I don't like to read. Well, then I can't help you. I mean, come on. You've got, there's no excuse You've got to begin reading if you aren't about how to grow spiritually, how to manage this life from a spiritual perspective. There's great books out there. If I'm around a bunch of Sam Malone's and Norm Peterson's all day, I have to counter their ignorance by spending time with people who keep me spiritually sharp. And every morning I plug into God's Word. I read God's Word every day. Not a lot of it, just a little bit. I love what Psalm 1 says, though. It says, blessed, blessed is the person. Blessed is the person who meditates on God's word day and night. It's in his head, it's in his soul. He or she's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit 
in season, whose leaf never withers. Whatever this person does, they prosper. This person is like a tree that's loaded with grapefruits all the time. Producing fruit all the time. This person's life is going in the right direction. It's going well. It's one of the signs, by the way, that you're controlled by the Spirit. Your life is producing fruit, fruits of the Spirit. Your life is producing good things like love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness. Those are things that are flowing in and out of your life. How does this happen once again? Blessed is the person who meditates on God's Word. How often? Day and night. It means all the time. What might this look like? Because, you know, you can't just walk around reading God's Word. It might look like this. Maybe you, you read a verse in the morning. Great verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Every Christian ought to have that right there in their head every morning, all through the day, ending at night. I can do all things through Christ. Or, fear not, God says. Fear not, I am with you. The God who created you knows all about you, has power for you, I am with you. Or maybe this verse, when I am weak, Paul says. That's when I'm strong because God's spirit comes in and makes me strong for the day ahead. Just having these things in my mind, in my heart, all day long carries me through. Blessed is the person who has a constant stream of God's truth flowing into their mind. They stay plugged into God's truth. One of my favorite authors, friend, John Ortberg, tells about a car he and his wife rented. They were in a strange city, and it was, it was when they, the, the GPS systems just started to come out so you, would, you could rent one of those little units as well. And so they're driving around, and the lady from the GPS told them where to go, but John said, I didn't know if I could trust her. She said, turn right, and in my heart I thought, but I want to turn left. Left is where I think I should go. John says, in fact, at one point, I was positive the lady in the GPS box was wrong. She said, go right, and I did not go right. I went left because I knew she was wrong. But then she said, recalibrating route, when safe to do so, make a U-turn. But I knew she was still wrong, said John, so I unplugged her. That's the beauty of it. You can unplug her. But I got lost as a goose, which my wife enjoyed immensely. So we plugged the lady back in, and you know what she said to me? I told you so, you little idiot. <laughs> you think I'm going to help you now? Forget about it. No, she didn't say that. She just said, recalibrating route. Make a U-turn when it's safe. And she led us to our destination. And the point is, you got to stay plugged in. Every day, day and night, Bible says. And I know what some of you are thinking, but Bob, it's so hard. We're so busy. There's soccer, basketball, hockey tournaments going on. The wild are winning. The wild are winning. So what? <laughs> the wild, no, I love it. By the way, I love it. And our family's gone every weekend. We have season tickets. We got to be there. Truthfully, some of you unplug from church or anything spiritual for weeks. Consequently, you and your family have nothing flowing into your mind countering this flow that's coming at you. No exposure to God's truth. No worship or biblical teaching. No inspiration from being around other believers. No countering this endless fire hose of Facebook, Snapchat, and whatever else we do. But then you notice something. When you've unplugged from the things of God for a while, 
you notice that your spirit starts to sag. Your marriage starts to struggle. Your kids have become selfish little monsters. Even darker than that, you fantasize about escaping into an off-limits relationship. Even think about maybe leaving your spouse. Even questioning if God is even real. It's because you've checked out spiritually. Nothing purifying the stream. The sinful nature takes over, and it's just a matter of time before you and your family get lost. So you've got to purify this stream that's coming through into your thinking, into your mind, into your soul every single day, okay? Second thing is this. You've got to develop new de- desires because, I don't know if you knew this, not all of our desires are good. You know, sometimes I have this desire to overeat. Sometimes I have this desire to overspend. Some of us have this desire to view pornography or to lie, cheat, or lash out in anger. Those are not good, good desires. Those desires will not lead you to life and peace. And some of us are saying, but Bob, I can't help it. That's where my desires are. I just got to follow my desires. So here's the question. How do you develop new desires that will lead you toward life and peace and away from sin? David wrote it this way in Psalm 37. He said, look, take delight in the Lord. Pursue God. And he will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you new desires. And notice this is in command form. You've got to pursue God. You've got to take delight in God. This is something you have to choose to do. By the way, the choice you all made to come to church today is a sign that you are taking delight in the things of God. You're pursuing God. Way to go. Way to go. Whenever you take a minute to read your Bible app or meditate on Scripture, take a couple minutes to pray each morning, you are taking delight in knowing God. You are pursuing God, and it grows on you. Because let's be honest, I mean, reading the Bible is not the most exciting thing to do. But if you choose to pursue it, if you choose to do it, it will grow on you. Your desires will change, and you'll get to a point where you say to yourself, I don't dare miss what God wants to say to me today from his word. Same with church. Some of you grew up hating church. But now you can't wait to get here because you pursued it and your desires are changing. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you desires of your heart. What it means is that when you chase after God, he will change your desires. Ten years ago, my wife's parents took the three daughters and the three of us sons-in-law to Italy. Ten years ago. It was a great gift. And we got there in Rome. We saw the Colosseum in Rome. We walked around the ruins. It was spectacular. A couple miles away was the magnificent Vatican, just a phenomenal place, this Vatican uh, place. Then it was St. Peter's Basilica. I mean, the architectural marvel that this place is was just, I couldn't even put my mind around. I sat in a Roman prison cell where Paul wrote actual parts of the Bible and to see some of the chains that could have bound his ankles. The guy who wrote some of the Bible just blew me away. We gazed at Michelangelo's painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. It's breathtaking. But what I never expected and what changed my life for all eternity wasn't any of those things. What changed me forever was Italian gelato. Do you know about this? 
It's the most amazing, tangy, creamy ice cream that transformed my life. The first time I tasted gelato, I knew there was a God <laughs> and that he was good. You know, it, from that time on, it, came, it, it was all about the gelato. You know, someone would say, well, hey, there's the Colosseum, but it's time for gelato. Or here's the Vatican, but where's the next gelato show? I mean, it's all we thought about. And here's my point. Once you taste gelato, your desire for Kemp's and Blue Bunny will go away. Because a new desire for gelato has been, inform, has been formed inside of you. Gang, I'm telling you, this is so true. When you get a taste for life and peace and you begin to sense a new love and a new joy and a new peace and kindness and self-control and relational, when you get a taste for this, all this over here is gonna start to die and you're gonna love it. You are gonna so love and enjoy relational wholeness and financial well-being and a contented life and a self-control person. You're never gonna wanna go back to this crap. I'm telling you. You pursue God. He will change your desires, nothing wrong with season tickets to the Wilder Timberwolves, that's fun. But it's not even close to the oneness you can experience while taking a walk with your wife and your crazy dog on a golf course. Doesn't even compare. Nothing wrong with playing endless video games, I guess. But it doesn't even compare when you get a taste for inspiring worship at a church like this. Nothing wrong with breaking sales records and acquiring all bunch of nice things, but that doesn't even come close when a college-age girl walks through one of our doors and finds Christ and begins this new life that changes her. And to have a hand in that doesn't come close to any nice thing that I might have stored in my garage. Man, once you get a taste of gelato, your desire and taste for Kemp's. When the Spirit gains control of your life and you start getting a taste for love, joy, peace, kindness, the sinful life loses its power and its attraction because life and peace feels so good. And I want that for you. I say this a lot. I love you people. I care about your life. As you pursue the things of God, your desire for the great things, and by the way, I love to hunt fish and do all that stuff. It just enhances that. You see God's work, and you bring God with you in the things that you enjoy, and your life becomes full. I want that for you. And you can get there step by step. Put God first. Hey, next week, Romans 8, 28, classic verse. Love this verse. In all things, God works for the good for those who love him. It's going to be a fantastic week, and you got to come at all campuses. Let's stand for closing prayer and be on our way. As you're standing, here's my challenge to everyone. Is there something flowing into your life? Is there something flowing into your mind that you need to eliminate?
or reduce. And then is there something that you need to add to the stream? Maybe it's finally getting the Bible app and reading once a day. Maybe it's finally joining a small group. Maybe it's finally listening to some worship music on the way to school. I don't know what it is. But is there something you need to add to this constant flow that comes at us every single day so that life and peace can take over? God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for 60 years of life. I can't believe it. I can't believe family, my son and daughter-in-law standing here today expecting a baby. My daughter and son-in-law. I just can't believe it, God. You're so good. Forgive us when we fail. Help us to pay attention to your word and go against this onslaught of culture that comes at us. God, I pray that we'll make a difference in this world, not just for us, but for those who depend on us, kids, grandkids, family members. Help us to lead the way. I pray this in Jesus' name.